had spent a couple of days reading up and listening to sermons about forgiveness and I was looking through for Jesus' words on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, when I was hit over the head by the Holy Spirit with, in Matthew 26, 28, this is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. For forgiveness. And I realised at another level why Jesus allowed his blood to be spilled, why he died, why everything was done to forgive. And I realised that the heart of everything Jesus did was forgiveness. Forgiveness is the core. It's the heart of Christianity. And if you don't get forgiveness, you don't get Christianity. And so as we look at forgiveness from those two messages, don't dismiss the importance of this topic. The battle for eternal life revolves around forgiveness. And if you're facing a battle in your own life to forgive something, to forgive someone, a person or God himself, then be reminded that the battle for forgiveness is a cosmic battle. All of the divine power of the universe was marshalled, put together to make forgiveness possible. God spent his most valued asset, his very own son's life. He paid the highest possible price to make forgiveness possible for you and for me. And then he made it available free of charge. Just believe and ask for it and it's yours. We say it most weeks when we have communion, his blood was poured out for forgiveness, for the forgiveness of sins. So perhaps in light of how important an issue of forgiveness is, you can understand why it is so hard to forgive people for what they've done to you. Perhaps you can understand why forgiving hurts goes to our very core, our deepest emotions. Perhaps you can understand why being told to forgive goes against every fibre of our creaturely soul. Because we just don't want to. It's so unfair. They don't deserve it. How can they keep getting away with it? I just don't have it within me. I can't let it go. Yes, some things seem impossible to forgive. And without God, you are correct. You see, it took a divine being to forgive, as Jesus did on the cross. Think about what he had to overcome in order to forgive. He had to overcome rejection, total rejection by the Jewish leaders, by the Roman conquerors who just thought he was irrelevant, by the common people who had been his support base. He was deserted by his followers. He was subjected to extreme violence. He was humiliated publicly. In short, hurt far more than any of us ever have been in order to demonstrate real forgiveness. His blood was shed to show what forgiveness looks like in real life. And real forgiveness always has a touch of the divine in it. For real forgiveness is only done by the power of God.
And Christians demonstrate God's divine power in their lives every time they forgive. In fact, forgiveness is the single greatest sign of being infected by divine love. And so if you, as a Christian, are struggling with forgiveness in some area of your life, be reminded that forgiveness is the core quality of Christian life. You became a Christian because you accepted forgiveness. You accepted God's forgiveness. And if you're not passing on what you've received, you're missing the point of being a Christian. We've been forgiven so much that it's just utterly absurd to hold on to unforgiveness. So let's take that thought. We've been forgiven so much that it's just utterly absurd to hold on to unforgiveness. We'll look at the parable of the merciful servant. The unmerciful servant. And Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? And he's being a bit cheeky here, up to, because they would normally say it two or three times, so he's saying, well, up to seven times. And Jesus answered, ah, smarty, I tell you, not seven times, but 70 times seven. And then he tells the story. Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man owned him 10,000 bags of gold and he was brought to him. I figure that's a fair amount of money, 10,000 bags of gold. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that his wife and his children and all that had been sold, repay the debt. Sell them off, repay the debt. And the servant fell on his knees before him and says, Be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay back everything. And the servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he grabbed one of his fellow servants and, and he, who owed him a hundred, just a hundred silver coins, and he grabbed him, began to choke him, and said, Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me. I'll pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and they went and they told their master everything that had happened. And the master called the servant in. He said, come in, you wicked servant. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all he owed. And then Jesus finishes that with, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. And the simple point, we have been forgiven bazillions of bucks. So anyone, anything someone does to us is like loose change by comparison. Get perspective. I think for this, think about this for a moment. Think about the hurt that God feels. The worst thing that could happen in your life is insignificant in comparison to the hurt which God feels. The God, you know, the God who gave us life. He put breath in our lungs, existence itself. The hurt God feels 
when we disavow him or we reject him, when we disobey him, when we turn away from him, when he lives, we live as though he's irrelevant. And everything we feel too hurt to forgive is just small change in comparison to the hurt of an eternity without Jesus. And so Christianity at its core is about forgiveness. And no wonder Jesus told Peter, you know, he was being pretty generous, how many times should I forgive? Seven times? Ah, seven times seven? Well, what's Jesus forgiven? Seven times seven times seven times seven? He's forgiven every sin, past, present, and future. Have you ever thought about the magnitude of that? The magnitude of what Jesus has forgiven? And if you think about that, you probably breathe the same response that the apostles did. And they said in Luke 17, 5, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Because we don't believe that we're capable of such forgiveness, do we? But as we look into the mechanics of forgiveness this morning and we explore the complexity of our divinely ordered tasks, let's just remind ourselves that the smallest amount of faith, just as small as a little grain of mustard, the smallest amount of faith in the God of the impossible is sufficient faith to get the job done. Now, as we think about forgiveness, we need to deal with an area of confusion because it's easy to confuse forgiveness with reconciliation and trust. So there's a boundary there. It's a boundary between forgiveness and reconciliation, between forgiveness and trust. Just because you forgive someone doesn't mean that you're automatically reconciled with them. doesn't mean that you automatically trust them. Forgiving someone doesn't mean that you're saying, all's forgiven, go ahead, do it again. Doesn't mean, I'm giving you a get out of jail free card. You don't have to change or do anything different from now on. Doesn't mean that. Doesn't mean that a perpetrator is absolved from the consequences of their actions. And it doesn't mean that things will be just the same around here as they've always been, because forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. For reconciliation to occur, changes have to be made by the person doing the wounding. Reconciliation, in fact, depends on there being a changed behaviour of the person who does the wounding. They have to have see new actions, they have to be observed for some time in order for trust to be gradually reinstated in a relationship. What does forgiveness mean? It means... I'm going to give up my attempts to make you pay for the price. Make you pay the price for what you've done. Forgiveness does mean I'm not going to be the one who carries out this sentence. Forgiveness does mean I am not going to be the judge. And in fact, I'm going to hand over my right to make you pay to somebody else. I'll hand it over to God or I'll hand it over to the courts the police, the judge, the community, the family, are handing it over. And if you don't do that, if you have unforgiveness, how do you know that? Because you're still trying to make them suffer. You're still bearing a grudge. You're still remembering every detail of the crime and you're never forgetting, you're never letting go. 
Unforgiveness is revenge and you're dreaming of ways of returning to them in bucket loads the pain which was inflicted on you. And unforgiveness is when you're trying to be the judge and you're going to be the jury and you're going to be the executioner and then you're going to be the grave digger. And how do we do that? We simmer our hatred, we stay angry, we stay outraged and indignant. How could they? And we tell everyone who will listen about it and we remember it constantly. And why is that so? Because by some satanically fueled logic, making ourselves feel bad constantly feels like payment is being made for that offence. Suffering is happening to match the suffering we've received. But the problem is the offence is over, it's done. And yet the suffering is still going on. What's going on there? You see, in most cases, we don't actually have the capacity to make the offender pay, do we? If it's a really bad offence, the police have found them, or if you're too scared to tell anyone about it, well, then they're still untouchable because you haven't told anyone. And when you can't actually make someone pay, you turn to the only place, to the only one you have control over, to yourself and you make yourself pay you make yourself pay ask yourself this when you refuse to forgive when you hold on to your hurt and pain who's getting the punishment you are you are primarily punishing yourself for someone else's sin you're making yourself pay for it and so one of the reasons we forgive others is to stop punishing ourselves for their sin. Consider this factor. If you do to them what they did to you, as what you consider that's just their just desserts, then you become like them, a per perpetrator as well. If they murdered someone and you murder back, you become a murderer. If they took out an eye and you take out their eye, you get the point? You become a perpetrator if you enact revenge, if you carry out some of those many schemes you've thought up for making them pay. And being the judge and the executioner, that's just a dreadfully corrosive experience for your soul. It rots your soul, particularly if you've got a vested interest in the judgment. That's just a terrible burden. You know, that's why judges and juries are independent from a situation. And what happens if you return tit for tat? You will set up a never-ending cycle of revenge. He hurt me, so I hurt him. So he hurts me, so I hurt him. Sounds like a reading history, doesn't it? And one simple contemporary example in the Middle East today. The Palestinians fire rockets into Israel often thousands per day. Israelis, after a while, get fed up, look around, yes, we'll knock that building over, <laughs> backwards and forwards. And all that makes Jesus' central work, the spilling of his own blood for what? For forgiveness. Makes it so revolutionary. It makes it so different. It makes it so what we call contra-intuitive, so opposite to our lower human nature. And the thing is, Jesus, in doing that, is modelling behaviour for us to follow. He's deliberately leading the way. He's showing how we should be handling forgiveness. 
And he calls us to hand over the need to make them pay, hand that need to someone else. Jesus himself handed it to the Father when he asked the Father to forgive them. He wasn't going to make the people that caused all the pain he was feeling, which was racking his body at the time, he was handing it over. He handed off to someone else the judgment. Now, friends, he was not out on a Sunday picnic when he did this. He was enduring, he was absorbing, he was experiencing the greatest pain anyone could experience being crucified so that none of us could say to him, Oh, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've suffered. You don't know the pain I've experienced. You don't know what it's like to feel like I'm feeling. Friends, he does. He does. He knows physical pain to the point of death. He knows the emotional pain of being rejected, of betrayal, of false accusation, of slander, of shame, of humiliation, of separation from his own father. And in the face of that, he knows the correct response. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Wow. To forgive is simply divine. And when we forgive, we are entering sacred territory. So let's, let's just use that little bit of faith. That's all we need to follow Jesus' example. That little bit of faith is enough to allow God to do in us what we can't do ourselves. One of the people I came across in my research was Ruth Graham, the daughter of the famous evangelist Billy Graham. And she's written a book entitled Forgiving My Father, Forgiving Myself, The Miracle of Forgiveness. That's the focus, the miracle. Because foundationally, Ruth believes that forgiving is a way to get healthy emotionally. And she felt it's much more than just letting go. It's a deep transformation of your inner world, forgiving to the point of actually being able to love the person who wounded you. Another very uh, famous Christian at the moment, Henry Cloud, says that you know you've got to the end of forgiveness. You know you're forgiven when you are free to move forward when you don't have a burden of bitterness, when you don't have feelings of needing to punish them, and you no longer hold things against that other person. But you know where the boundary is between forgiveness and reconciliation. You're there when you no longer need to change that other person, although you may no longer trust them, and you probably have got strategies in place for your protection, you can be around them and you can want to bless them. And some simple things, how do you get to that point? Well, number one, you expose the past. And if you don't have a friend with whom you can be totally honest about what's happening for you, then praise the Lord for the counselling industry. Because perpetrators are diabolically clever at making people feel like powerless victims making them ashamed to admit what happened and threatening them with dire consequences if they ever tell anyone. But whatever happened in the past needs to be exposed and whatever happens you need to understand that it did happen in the past. And how do you look at that? That past, that shouldn't define you. That's merely a starting point for your future.
It's a starting point for your future. The good news about uh, forgiveness is it only takes one person to forgive. It doesn't matter what happens in the other person's life. It only takes you to forgive. It doesn't have to be any cooperation at all from the other person. It's important also to allow yourself time to grieve. Very few of us can shrug off a deep pain. The famous person Elizabeth Kubler-Ross said there's a number of stages of grief when we experience a great loss such, when as, the, such as when a loved one passes away and we've got a diagram there I think of that and when you're hurt badly something's lost you know, that's what happens uh, you, you don't feel safe maybe or you've lost trust or you've lost a relationship and so grieving is a process when you're hurt badly there may be many stages the first stage is like denying there's a problem oh I'm right I don't have a problem or I'm getting, just getting angry about a problem or bargaining to find a way out if only I'd done this if only I'd done that or just then going oh, I'm really depressed about how bad it is or I'm overwhelmed or I just get hostile or I want to escape into some sort of drugs or entertainments or whatever it might be and the final stage is you accept and you can now start to think about new things to do and then you can put a plan in place and you can start working that plan so that's uh, allow yourself time there's no quick fix on this sometimes there is sometimes the Lord is amazing and, over and does a special work there's going to be many steps and then confess and repent in this final stage you, you stop blaming others for what happened to you because that's what a victim does I'm like this because of what happened to me no you work out what happened you work out who you need to forgive who you need to reconcile with you spend the time grieving the loss of whatever you lost and you get a plan and you move on you might need to identify some of the things you've learned from there which are patterns that you need to turn away because often you learn to act in unhealthy ways which led to you being hurt you, you learn to act in unhealthy ways in order to just cope or to survive so you've got to do some work to identify what those patterns were and then once you identify them you can make a choice and say do I want to keep doing that for example if you're in a codependent relationship which is where you're trying to take responsibility for someone else's life you say things like look if I love him enough he'll change at some point you have to decide to give back that responsibility and change and say well it's not actually my job to fix you I will love you but I'm not loving you in order to make you change and we can't change that past we've got to change our internal connections to the people who are in there the people who have hurt us by forgiving them and we've got to release our demand that they somehow have to make it up to us we have to let go of lost dreams oh this relationship was going to be like this and sometimes we just have to let go of toxic people if no safe boundaries can be established the good news is that although we can't change the past we can redeem it we can redeem it we can make it new by forgiving 
I've talked a bit about those boundaries between what, what those boundaries can be a boundary or they can be a shield. A shield is what you do to protect yourself. Like you can be get all defensive, you can go silent, you can get angry, you can withdraw in order to protect yourself and a shield just looks after you. But a boundary looks over both sides. You see, when you know you're deeply loved by God, you won't allow people to run over you, but then again, you won't try and control them. You will demand that they treat you with the same dignity and respect which you're offering to them. And when you have a clear boundary and you know who you are and what your responsibility is and you know what, who they are and what their responsibility is, then you've got it sorted. For example, right? if you're not going to speak to me with dignity and respect, which I'm giving to you, you're just going to have to leave. Establishing healthy boundaries and being comfortable to speak up and say, no, that's not right. That's part of learning to forgive. Otherwise, you end up getting hurt over and over again in the same direction because people just jump over your boundary fences. Well, let's uh, just finish with Ruth Graham's story. Her story about finding forgiveness is not really about any problem with her father, Billy Graham, because he modelled unconditional love to her. But Ruth had fallen into some failed marriages. She had some unfaithful, she had some abusive spouses. And she wrote her book about it because she said, when I tell my stuff, that's when ministry happens. When I tell my stuff, that's when ministry happens. And she, felt, she feels that she's been called to be open and vulnerable about her life. And she makes this interesting thing, she says, she talks about making the wounds that you received, make your wounds sacred. Right? Make your wounds sacred. And she says, that's what happens when you give them to God to use for his glory. And she remembers a moment in the prayer time when she said, Lord, if you can ever use this mess for your glory, you're welcome to it. And at some point she felt him say back to, you, to her, I gave you this story for my glory and I want you to tell your story. And so that's what she does. And one of her interviewers said, it's like you're celebrating your scars as tattoos of triumph. It's an interesting phrase. But friends, we finish just by saying forgiveness is the core of what Jesus' shed blood came to do. He shed his precious blood to forgive and to forgive us our sins. Let's follow his example and let's be forgiving people also. Let's pray. To forgive is divine and you showed the way. Lord, we are humbled. We're just reminded of how so often we are poor at it and how we need your help. So I pray that if we need to struggle with that and are struggling with that this morning, that we would say we just need to ask you to help us. Lord, help us forgive. Lord, let us keep in perspective how much you have first forgiven and let us invite your Holy Spirit 
to enable us to do what we need to do and it's not our job to make them pay so we hand that over we hand it over to someone else we hand it over to you bless the Lord Amen